Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Post Riders flagship podcast, The Pony Express. As always, I'm your host, Mike Levito, and I'm the editor-in-chief of The Post Rider, and I am joined by Post Rider contributor Alex Hunter and Post Rider contributor Lewis Ryan. Hey Mike, thanks for having me back. <laughs> no problem. And we are here to discuss the 29th entry uh, the 29th feature-length entry, I should say, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Thor, Love, and Thunder. This is the fourth Thor film. Thor, of course, being played by Chris Hemsworth. And it is the second Thor film directed by Taika Waititi, who previously directed the, I would say, well-received third Thor film, uh, which is Thor Ragnarok. Waititi, of course, um, is known for... You know, he he kind of began as a comedian. He made you know, comic films, and brought that kind of a sort of comedic vibe, I guess, for lack of a better word, to Thor Ragnarok, um, which I feel like it sort of turned a lot of people's heads, got a lot of people excited. And so I guess I just kind of want to start by asking uh, the the panel here what our feelings on Thor Ragnarok and Taika Waititi were kind of walking into us and what our expectations were because of that. I'll start with you, Alex. I, th- I thought that was a complete movie. Um, I think it, be- it made me more engaged with Thor and had like engaging sequences, right? Uh, I-, I think that it did its job of like furthering the universe and kind of bringing a little bit more light onto Thor. Lars, have you? Uh, not Lars, Lewis. Have you even seen Thor Ragnarok? Yes, I did. I skipped it in the theater, but then I uh, I watched it later. Um, I, I, I wasn't really interested in it based on the trailer and I didn't really care for it much after I'd watched it and I don't really have a <laughs> desire to rewatch it. Um, I don't, I don't really agree with the direction they're taking Thor, like as a character, the way he's been portrayed since, um, I kind of want to say it started in Age of Ultron, but, um, the more comedic direction, it's not necessarily a bad way to go with it, but I'm, I'm just not the fan of the way it's been executed, and um, this current movie is no exception. And um, Taika Waititi, Mike and I were talking about this the other day, it's like the more, he seems like, you know, he's a smart, talented guy, but he seems like um, like he he's letting, he's sort of like maybe peaked already in the public eye, and he's sort of like his comedic enterprises since then have been kind of sweaty and they seem to have more and more diminishing returns with each passing project or acting role and so forth yeah he he was profiled in the new york times magazine recently and the entire conceit while it was a pro taika watiti article like the entire conceit of it was that you know he he is involved in so many projects that eventually there's like just a case of diminishing returns right like he kind of spreads himself so thin that eventually he just kind of make the stuff he makes is just not quite as good. And yeah, I, I like Thor Ragnarok. I didn't think it was like sort of like the revolutionary, like, you know, answer to people's prayers that everyone else thought it was. I think one of the reasons it was such a big deal is because I think for most people it was an introduction to Taika Waititi's sensibility and his humor. Right. And I'm not going to play like too cool for school. It was the first Taika Waititi movie I had ever seen. I had like known of him, but this is the first movie of his that I'd seen. And I, I, you know, I thought, I thought it was like said pretty good. And, but I agree with, yeah, Lewis and I, like you said, you were talking, we were talking about this and there is a, like, 
I think when Taika Waititi, like, does his shtick well, it's, like, very entertaining. I think when he does it poorly, it's, like, very twee and, like, almost condescending. And I feel like you could kind of, like, Jojo Rabbit, I feel like, is kind of, like, the peak of that, even though it did win him an Oscar. It's kind of, like, <laughs> you know, was, like, you know, whether or not a sort of, like, Wes Anderson-esque, like, Moonrise Kingdom-esque movie about the Hitler Youth is going to work for you, it kind of, like, varies. And I think it's, like, a thing you have to do, like, very carefully. And I don't think he always did it very carefully. The thing about this, this movie, Thor, Love, and Thunder, that we're going to talk about is that there's a lot going on in it, right? There are, like, three main storylines you have kind of like the classic good guy versus bad guy marvel storyline which features christian bale as gore the god butcher who is this i guess like alien being who whose daughter dies of it's implied like thirst or starvation he like prays to his god to save her life uh he doesn't he ends up meeting his god in this kind of odd garden of eden scenario and happens upon this sword that lets him kill gods, so he does kill this god, and he decides he's going to kill all of the gods, basically. Then you have um, the Jane Foster, like, cancer drama. Jane Foster, of course, being Thor's love interest, and the first two Thor films, she was absent from Thor Ragnarok, and essentially from Avengers Endgame, like, she is technically in it, but she's not, like, really in it. It's, like, stock footage, I think. Played by Natalie Portman, and she has been diagnosed with cancer. Um, it's stage four, it's not going well. And uh, she has not spoken to Thor in a very long time, but she decides to seek out Mjolnir, which is Thor's shattered older hammer, which she then finds and turns her into the mighty Thor, just this other like iteration of Thor, and she's got all Thor's powers and stuff. And then there's like the Thor Jane like romance, basically. So Thor, after the events of Endgame, has been mar- not marauding; he has been gallivanting around the galaxy with the Guardians of the Galaxy, eventually once again crosses paths with Valkyrie, played by Tessa Thompson in New Asgard, which is where all, like, the Asgardian refugees live now. In the midst of all this chaos of Gore the God Butcher kidnapping these Asgardian children, crosses paths with Jane again, at least this very awkward thing, and they kind of try to resolve their relationship issues as they team up to go and save the children kidnapped by Gore the God Butcher. Um, how did we think about this approach to the story? Because like I said, there's a lot of moving parts, a lot going on, some of those storylines are treated more comedically than others. How do we think of, like, the general sort of, like, mix and cohesion or lack thereof? I mean, once you're actually explaining it to it, you're actually explaining it, I was like, oh, maybe there are a lot of plot lines. <laughs> but I guess, I was like, wow, this is a lot of stuff going on. I was like, uh, I didn't think about that before. But uh, I feel like there is the main storyline of, you know, the, spoiler, children getting kidnapped. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I think that's the main storyline. I mean, that kind of a share one A and one or one and one A. That and obviously the love story between Thor and Jane. But I actually liked it because I, I feel like I'm in the definite <laughs> minority because I actually liked the storylines. I thought that Gore the Butcher was actually a villain that made sense. His motivation was right there. His God had betrayed him. And obviously he comes back with the Necro Sword. But I, I do think that they could have probably hit a better rhythm with some of the plot lines. I just think it's funny, Mike, that you were like, some of the plot lines have comedic overtones. I think <laughs> all the plot lines have comedic overtones. Um, but um, yeah, no, I'm not opposed to 
a movie feeling, you know, like there's a lot of stuff going on. Because, you know, when you pay $15 or whatever for a movie ticket, you want to feel like you're getting value for your money. You know, you don't want to feel like nothing happens in a movie. You know, this isn't an indie drama, a mumblecore film. <laughs> you know, it's a big epic thing with bad guys and monsters and whatnot. And especially with something like Thor, you know, it's about based on North mythology. So it should have like an epic sweep and, you know, high drama, bombast, stuff like that. So, um, um, I do like, you know, I think Alex was saying when you have to explain it all, like Mike uh, so ably did, it does sound like a lot of stuff's going on, but I think it was like this film, it never felt like I have no idea what's going on. Um, like Alex said, like the villains motivations made sense and I could understand them, I wouldn't necessarily say that that's the bar for me in terms of <laughs> villains. Like, I would I would think that, you know, it should be, like, um, the rock-bottom foundation of a movie in terms of having a villain with a clear motivation. But, um, but you, you would think that would be the rock-bottom, but so many superhero movies just the last six, seven years fail to do that. They fail to explain, like, the actual motivations or you care about the motivations of the villains. So, yeah, so I think that with making that making that part of the movie Thor and actual character or actual villain that, like, you understand his motivation, I think that's really useful because a lot of movies, superhero movies specifically fail to do that. They especially the last six or seven years they fail to do that. So I think that them outlining that is just great. And I think that Christian Bale probably could have done a little bit better job, I think with a maybe a better director with this position or with this character. But I think that he does the most he can with it within the script, you know? Yeah, speaking to that, I did want to mention that um Christian Bale's performance under Taika Waititi's direction, it, it seems to me like like his performance shifted wild, wildly in different, to like different extremes at points. Like at the beginning, you know, because Christian Bale's obviously, he's a great actor. He's one mm-hmm. of the greatest actors working today. I don't think any of us would disagree with that. Um, so the opening of the movie, it's like this, this very clear-cut scene where it's like him confronting his god and then dealing with the death of his daughter and then taking uh, vengeance and becoming gore. And it's like Christian Bale is sort of like like giving it like 110%. And it's sort of like, it's kind of like almost like, um, it felt like kind of like inappropriate. Like he's like trying too much to give sort of like this big Oscar-worthy performance where it's like, I feel like the director should have come in and been like, um, you can just dial it down a bit, Christian. Because like that's what actors do. Like they get direction and if they need it dialed it down to like fit the film, then he'll do it. So I felt like he was trying like way too hard at the beginning. Not necessarily giving a bad performance, just one that I felt was inappropriate, um, given the film. Um, and then later on, so like Gore is introduced, and in he's like very serious at the beginning. And then in the middle of the film, there's a scene where he's talking to the children and explaining something with like uh, a fox or a ferret or something. And it's like this very sort of goofy, kind of goofy scene where he's like, it, it's, it's a, it felt a bit more appropriate. Um, like I was saying, it should have been, you know, it wasn't deathly serious, but it felt like it clashed a bit. So I think, like, I agree with you, Alex. I feel like Taika Waititi was either 
either didn't really uh, have a clear-cut conception of how Gore should be portrayed, or maybe he was too cowed by working with Christian Bale, who I said, as we all agree, is like one of the great actors and might have been intimidated about giving him direction and whatnot. I, and I think that's seen in that the it's seen uh, in the the opening sequence of you know Christian Bale confronting his God, and then you see the the person that plays the God is on not a couple notches up, or I will I will never sit, even say a couple notches down, but just a different level yeah. as far as like the rhythm of the scene, like like you said, like. Christian Bale is giving us all, you know, giving us classic Christian Bale, despair, uh, grief. And then you have this God who's more like a Deadpool side character. Um, you know, it's just like really, it's really, that's where I, I see people, I, I could see how a person get turned off with this film. But I feel like the rhythm, at least with the comedy, gets better to me because it, it kind of reflects that 80s style. But what did what did you what did you think about um, that turn of Gore becoming, you know, grief and gloom, and then him becoming that turn of like, oh, I'm kind of like a, I'm kind of like a sinister, funny character. See, I I think Christian Bale was like far and away the best part of this movie. Like, I really enjoyed his performance. <laughs> a little over the top, sometimes sure, but. I, I again I, I thought I, certainly the most compelling Marvel villain since Thanos I would say, um, I, and I, I I his turn felt a little. I don't know I it felt I, it didn't feel that that off to me right it it just it felt discordant of like a, dif- a different version of menace like a different way to, you know he had I, he I feel like he almost takes this kind of like Pied Piper persona when he takes away these children and he's kind of trying to relate to them on one way. But it's almost like the best way he knows to scare them is by going to their level a little bit and being a little kind of like zany. And yeah, I again, I thought he was probably the best part. And what, what you said, Alex, I think kind of highlights my issue with most of this movie, which is that Christian Bale's sort of doing a lot. Maybe sometimes too much, like you said, Lewis, but he's doing a lot. And then he's in this scene with, I would say, like a very poorly CGI'd god. Like, I felt like that scene, like, just looked pretty bad in general, who just comes off very much more campy, basically, right? And, like, he's in, a com- he's in a completely different world. And, you know, if you want to be charitable, it's like, maybe that's the kind of the point, that this guy kind of, like, lives high above everybody else. The concerns of, like, mortals living and dying don't matter to him. And he's supposed to be kind of decadent, but it just felt really off to me. It just felt like yeah, a, a real and... clash. But the thing is, I do like I, I agree with you that the fact that his character is probably the best in the entire film um you know when you see that sequence of him uh thor valkyrie and jane foster you know on that like kind of shadow planet i thought that was like one of the most like unique or interesting like sequences in the marvel universe in a while I like agree. just playing on the shadows you know, them walking on the planet where, you know, they crash on the planet. Like, you don't crash on a part of the planet or in the atmosphere of the planet. You crash on the planet. And I think this them playing with that and then playing with the creatures, definitely one of the more interesting sequences in the MCU the last couple of years. And, you know, he just, it, I mean, Christian Bale, 
he he steals the show. I don't I don't he steals the show for good and bad kind of because of the fact that he is still in the show because I feel like it's supposed to be more show. But I mean, he does what he needs to do here. Yeah, I also re- that was, again that was again I really enjoyed that sequence. It, Lewis, you seem like you may have been more skeptical about it. No, I mean. <laughs> You guys, when you guys say like you you enjoyed Christian Bale the best, I was trying to think of like what I enjoyed the best, and there wasn't anything that sort of like registered, you know. If if my enjoyment of the movie was like a heart monitor, there was nothing that like beeped. Like, um, I guess I you do... didn't love Zeus's accent. <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, I mean, I liked the idea of. Uh, I thought it was Olympiad City, but I guess it's Omnipotent City, according like, to Wikipedia. I the, yeah. Uh, I liked. I liked the idea of it and in like sort of like the design of it but i i actually like wanted to see more of it because i felt like we didn't get a lot and this like this is a complaint i had watching the movie is that they go there and it's supposed to be like this gorgeous you know immaculately designed place and then it's like a a shot of like the four our four characters thor valkyrie uh jane foster and korg yeah like walking and for whatever reason like they're walking and like the background's all in shallow focus so you can't see anything and it's like well what a waste of like this big yes. fantasy movie with this nice setting and it's like you can't see like where they are basically outside of like when they're in zeus's uh big giant arena room and it's like that was one thing i took issue with but um the sequences at the end i guess were were interesting but more interesting compared to like a, another marvel movie other marvel movies i would say it felt uh this movie made me think a lot about uh the terry gilliam film time time bandits um, if anyone's seen that, it felt a lot like that. Um, so uh, I guess I liked that those sort of influences are creeping in, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be one of those people who say like, uh, oh, they shot in black and white for five minutes or maybe even like one minute. I think they 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 cheat with the black and white like pretty quickly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, oh, they shot in black and white. I'm gonna give this movie five stars. I'm not gonna say anything like that. But it's interesting <laughs> that that they did it. I guess. No, I mean, like, considering I feel like the, like, general complaint about Marvel movies, which is that they follow this kind of, like, template, and you don't get a lot of surprises, I felt like that was, like, a pretty, it was, you know, again, it's, it's, you know, a uh, kind of, um, I'm trying to think of the right metaphor, but, you know, it's very much like a, uh, it's very much like a fastest turtle situation, right? It's like, I'm not saying that it (laughs) makes this movie, like, incredible, but it's like, it's at least I, I to me it's at least it, it it that scene at least is higher than the baseline. I actually we'll get to how I feel like this movie like overall and kind of like uh how I like feel about it on the whole later on, but that scene I was at least like, oh, they're at least like trying something here, even if it's not like, you know, the greatest advancement in the yeah. history of things. They they definitely try a lot of stuff in this movie, but I feel like nothing is long enough to be impactful where it's like truly like commendable. So let's talk about we we talked about Gore the God Butcher a lot there. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Jane Foster, played by Academy Award winning actress Natalie Portman. Um, as I mentioned, this is uh, her return to the MCU. Um, apparently, and this is this is interesting. I I was listening to another podcast that was talking about this movie, and apparently, the reason why Natalie Portman was not in Thor Ragnarok or any other movie after thor the dark world was because i guess it was her idea and her recommendation that they hired patty jenkins to direct Thor the dark world and they fired patty jenkins and then natalie portman was very upset and in fact there are some scenes 
in Thor The Dark World where Natalie Portman, like Jane is in them, but Natalie Portman's not in them, and it's actually body double, which I mm. thought was kind of an interesting bit of gossip. But uh, she returns. Um, she's given a much more active role than she's given in, in the, the first, first two Thor films. She becomes another iteration of Thor. Um, she has this whole cancer plot. What, what did we think of Natalie Portman's performance about Jane's character arc? What, what were our feelings about that? Because I have some feelings. <laughs> well, it was so brave of Natalie Portman to, to lose all that weight to play a cancer victim, I thought. <laughs> no, I don't know. Um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I felt like she didn't really... I mean, obviously, I guess you don't want her to like transform to play a cancer victim. Like That would probably be too much. Mm-hmm. And I know I've seen images from the comic, and it's like Jane Foster's like almost skeletal in that, so it would be probably like too disturbing or scary to put in this film but um i thought it was okay yeah i thought it was more even keeled and appropriate than um christian bales sorry to say that um i felt she like played the right tone for for what the movie was going for ultimately and i guess uh she she was more um they liked it i would say they like tweaked her personality a bit maybe mm-hmm. from the first two yeah. thor films to make her a better foil to like the current to current way chris hemsworth plays thor and you know tessa thompson and korg so i don't know i think she she delivered a fine performance in this movie yeah i think that she played like the scotty pippen role really well to thor um and also valkyrie as well because they're like in the middle of the movie they have their kind of like uh friendship or kinship and they kind of bounce off of each other I thought that that was pretty interesting and obviously, you know, kind of get a nod of like, you know, women working together, which, you know, that's not great message, of course. Um, but I, I, I do think that even I think they make her very intriguing as a Thor as well, like and not in like a character or uh, emotional sense, but like an actual like, oh, like she's compelling to watch as Thor on the screen, whether it be like, you know, with the suit on, like. She, I buy in the fact that oh, she's she's turned into the superhero. Even the action thing, the action scenes, which I thought were going to be kind of like a, I thought the action scenes were with Jane were going to be kind of like watered down, um, and they weren't. They, I thought I thought that her and Thor worked in tandem with you know with the action sequences pretty well, and uh, yeah, I think I think that she was the right temperament. She was the right temperament for this role. Um, and, right rhythm um to agree with that criticism of you know unlike christian bale unfortunately but yeah see i i i think she looked (laughs) especially when natalie she had to be funny i just felt like natalie portman looked incredibly uncomfortable (laughs) like i actually didn't think she was like i don't want to say she was bad because like i don't think she was like giving a bad performance but it was just very clear to me that like the ways Natalie Portman can be funny are not the ways that Taika Waititi knows how to write people to be funny. And that's not like a fault for either of them necessarily. I think it's just a bad match. And I just like, I felt like she was acting in like an SNL skit in this, in the sense that it's like, well, you got the sense that it was somebody being dropped into just like not a natural role for them. And they had to make the best of it that they could. And I, I'm not saying, again, it's like, I don't want to say that she was, like, bad, because I don't necessarily think it's, like, her fault, but it just came off, like, there was something about it that came off very 
unconvincing to me. <laughs> no, but you know what's so funny? That's where I think that that's the one aspect that I think that Thor and Jane kind of feel it as far as like their chemistry and right, it, probably the writing of the film uh, with their actual romance part. I feel like that's where it fails. It's like the the over sequences, the over montage sequences, their kind of like romantic riff is, I don't know if I like believe in it. And I don't know, like, I feel like it's kind of like, that's where it gets overplayed. That's where I feel like she's like in a sandbox where she's not comfortable. And that's where I think that that failed as far as like their relationship and bringing that authenticity to the screen as far as like, oh, like I really believe in them being in love instead of just like you said, in an SNL skit. <laughs> yeah. Um, I like, I felt like all the humor was uncomfortable coming from everybody. So I'm just like, in my mind, <laughs> I'm, I'm divorcing like this movie from like the movie's comedy. Because mm-hmm. like, if I overlap them then it's like i i don't really have a whole lot of positives to say about the movie um i mean like we're this is a movie where there's like a ice cream place called infinity cones yeah i love that though i loved it though this movie like while i'm watching it i'm like this is like why outside context is important because it's like if mel brooks had made this movie and it's like parodying (laughs) thor and like superhero movies it'd probably be like one of the funniest movies of like the last five years but Unfortunately, Mel Brooks didn't do it. Taika Waititi did do it. And it's actually like a legitimate Thor movie in like the actual Marvel Cinematic Universe. So it's like, you know, you're, it's like you want to have your cake, you know, and eat it too. So it's like, I, that, that outside context, it's like that renders a lot of the humor sort of uh, flat and kind of embarrassing. And as Mike said, kind of uncomfortable, uncomfortable coming from the actors. And a lot of it feels like very much made, you know, for the SNL skit, YouTube video sort of generation mentality. Yeah, I think my big issue with it is just that, like, like Thor Ragnarok, I didn't think it was, like, the greatest movie of all time, but, like, I thought it was, like, funny, right? Like, it made me laugh. Um, and it, But it was funny because it was, like, kind of weird. Like, that when they're, like, escaping on, like, the Grandmaster ship and they press the button and it's like, it's my birthday and all the confetti shoots out. It's like, that's funny because it's kind of, like... It's just, like, a weird thing happening in the midst of, like, this action movie. Whereas I felt like so much of the humor in Love and Thunder, it was very, like, verbal. Or they were trying to make it very verbal. It was very dialogue-focused. There weren't, like, gags so much as there was just, like... What about the Old Spice commercial? Yeah, but, like, again, yeah, but that was, like, five (laughs) seconds, right? Part with the speaker? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, but, but, like, my point is that it felt like they were trying to get a lot of humor out of, like isn't it so funny that this giant muscle-bound superhero is so uncomfortable seeing his ex-girlfriend? And I just didn't think it was very funny. I'm sure there are lots of people that it did work for. It didn't work for me. Same thing with the Screaming Ghost. It was like, hey, remember this meme yeah, from, like, funny. eight years ago? Wasn't that so funny? It was like, yeah. It was funny, like, when I saw it synced up with Taylor Swift's I Knew You Were Trouble. But, like, divorced <laughs> of that context, I don't know if it's quite as funny. Um... And that's just, like, where a lot of this movie fell flat for me. It was just, like, the, the jokes just didn't work. Um, which, again, is, like, there's no accounting for taste when it comes to, to, to humor, but, yeah. But um, going back to, to Natalie Portman and um, the, the feeling that I, I did... Did did anyone else have the feeling that it's, like, that, uh, like, you could have cut Natalie Portman from this movie? 
and like you wouldn't have missed much because i don't know if she's so integral to the overall structure of the movie that much yeah i think i think you're not wrong and i think that kind of like again speaks to and a problem for me with this movie which is just that like it feels like it's trying it feels like it's like a couple miles wide but only a few inches deep i think in a lot of these storylines right and and i I, it's just trying it's trying to trying to do a lot and trying to get a lot milk a lot of milk milk, like i said these three different storylines and they don't really come together or really make sense why they're happening at the same time you kind of get i guess maybe you don't have the ending that i still don't entirely understand where gore is at eternity and thor decides to spend his like last times at eternity with jane and that causes like a change of heart or something in gore and that ends up to leads him to resurrect his daughter instead of killing all the gods again didn't really make a whole ton of sense to me um but yeah i i just there's just part parts of this movie just feel kind of like incompatible i guess is is where where i'm trying to get at to lewis's like criticism of like do you take if you can take Jane away from any of the seat or most of the movie, do you really care? And it's like, I think that there's some credence to that because if you think about like all the sequences, even the riffs, the comedic riffs, they might've not needed her. They might've just needed Valkyrie, the rock character and Thor. Yeah, I agree. And like the, the one thing I will say, like we've talked about like performances a lot. Like I, I, I actually really like Tessa Thomas. Tessa Thompson, excuse me, in this role. I think she makes like a great action hero. I also don't know that she's given like enough to do in, in this movie either. <laughs> Can I ask a question? Yeah, go ahead. Because like I, I, I definitely watched this movie. Like my eyes were right. I I hate to say glued to the screen because, but I was just watching it, you know, for work <laughs> essentially, sure. um, even though I didn't want to. But um, to like um, in terms of it feeling like extra, I feel like this movie. Uh, Blake Snyder writes in his book Save the Cat, I believe, about screenwriting. It's like you shouldn't really have like two ind- plots that occur independently of each other. So there's like Gore the God Butcher and then Jane, mm-hmm. and there's they don't they're not, they don't really start from the same place, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Like the, nothing yeah. about. So, I'm I'm not wrong about that, right? Like Jane is in her lab working on trying to fix her cancer, and then like a book appears. Mm-hmm. And is that ever explained where that appears from? I I think the implication is that it's like the magic of Mjolnir trying to guide her towards Mjolnir because it's like there's like that flashback where Thor tries to make like he like makes Mjolnir promise that it I don't know if Mjolnir has a gender that it will protect Jane and like her it's protecting her in the sense that it's going to like delay her cancer or whatever but you're right in the sense that Gore is like Gore's kidnapping of the kids is just a way to make Thor and Jane meet, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but they're but until like that happens, yeah, you're right. They're completely independent of each other. Yeah. But I will I will commend them for writing in that reference that Jane makes to her uh, her like fellow patient in the dialysis or whatever the chemo. And they, she talked about time travel and Event Horizon and Interstellar. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, and when she's explaining time travel to the, well, the yeah, she does. She does like the wormhole paper cliche. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and I so thought I that thought, was pretty dope. 
that's going to play into the movie at some point, but it, it doesn't. So yeah, it's yeah. just... Taika Waititi was maybe just watching it on YouTube one day, and it's like, what if I put that in the movie? Because <laughs> she's a physicist. She can talk about that. Because he doesn't know how to write a physicist otherwise. That Yeah, he only knows in terms of other movies about physicists. That that could very well be. Um, all right, what 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 else do we have? Is there? I'll, I'll throw it to you guys. That I, I've been kind of dry, like kind of directing this conversation. Or anything else that I, that I'm leaving out that that you guys feel like we have to touch um, on in this movie? I I think that the the relationship between Stormbreaker and Thor was very eighties eighties ish, like kind of like Knight Rider hmm. relationship. Like oh, like the the inanimate object or a fluffy inanimate object has it's like kind of a character and they make these jokes and riffs and yeah they're kind of cheesy but they work they land i feel like those are some of the funnier jokes unfortunately are from stormbreaker and uh thor it was like aladdin's magic carpet but i feel like the thing like one <laughs> like one one of like the i thought that was like okay i feel like one of the things that like but compared to Aladdin's Magic Carpet, which again is like a cartoon, a completely different movie, I feel like you, you it was hard to like personify Stormbreaker, right? Yeah. Like it like Stormbreaker can't emote outside of just like floating into the, the frame. So it's like a little hard to like get too much like character work out of yeah, out of Stormbreaker. It's, it's telling when um Alex brought up Stormbreaker and then Mike brought up the magic carpet, my face like lit up. Because like I remember the carpet is like a memorable, you know, character or whatever. It's like Stormbreaker. I almost wished he was voiced by William Daniels Alex. That would have been great if Stormbreaker came in. It's like, you know, Thor, I don't know if Jane is, you know, ready for another relationship. Uh, but um, I don't know. Um, oh, I, I like the costumes. Like, I thought Thor's costume was really good in this movie. So that's a, that's a plus. I would agree. I like the, the color schemes. Um, it feels like they were kind of going back, if not like a literal, like sort of like, 60s thor like costume it was like kind of like the similar color scheme i I'll, I'll agree on that i like yeah i think the character design was like mostly okay i think the execution was not always there like i it, it was kind of weird because like i think there was only like there was I, only one time i felt like they were actually like outside on a location and it was just like thor walks onto like a like normal cut lawn of grass like wearing the costume i'm like this looks weird like that was really giving me like as opposed to mel brooks it was like superhero movie vibes right, like the right. zucker uh no not the zuckerbergs um seltzer and friedberg mm-hmm. kind of movie vibes of just like you have this like ornate costume and it's just mm-hmm. like he just walks onto like someone's lawn mm-hmm. and he flies up and yeah. and the thing is is that i you know, you you're kind of making your case with the over stuff because it's kind of telling that we we've talked all this time and we haven't even referenced the beginning of the film where he's with the Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> yeah, and that that's it, it. Felt very like how much money do you think they spent on Chris Pratt being on set for like what had to be not like a whole lot of time, right? And they he you know he was he was just like oh it was you know two days work you know hundred thousand. Yeah. Between Mario VO sessions, <laughs> <laughs> the terminal list, um, but yeah, I that that it, it that felt that was very weird, right? Like, and that the that also like the framing device where it's like Korg telling the story of yeah. Thor, and he tells it like three different times. 
Like, that was also just like a, like, who are those people he was talking to? Yeah, it was very abrupt. <laughs> yeah. It, there like, was... the movie takes note, like, it should have, like, started with, like, a little preamble of, like, kids, like, running to gather around Korg, but the movie just yeah. starts, boom, pan in, Korg's already, <laughs> gather up, and it's like, they're already gathered. Yeah, yeah they're, they're already going. gathered. And it's like, it's one thing if, like, because he ends up at the end of the movie getting, like, you know, rock person married, and then they, to like... Dwayne. To Dwayne, yes. Which was, yes. <laughs> I, that, I thought that was kind of funny. Um, and then they end up, he mentions they end up, well, they implies they have kids because he talks about the way they reproduce and involves a volcano, this whole thing. And, like, it'd be one thing if he was, like, telling this story to his kids, but it just, like, he restarts the story, like, twice. And so it's, like, how many how many different versions of Korgar are they telling this story? And I feel like that's just, like, Kind of like the director and writing team just saying like, "Oh, we can we can have this these like cute and intellectual montages or montages where we're like, oh, explaining and, and it's ironic, and it's like that's it. It's that's the only reason why it's there. It's written there just to be ironic. That's it. It doesn't it, further the plot. It felt all very like placeholder. Like Taika was like, I want a scene at the beginning where you know uh, Korg's telling the kids and like." Does any do you guys remember the scene, which I thought was kind of like literally terrible from like a writing perspective, where it's like Korg's head is talking to Valkyrie, and Korg's like, "What's wrong?" and Valkyrie's mm-hmm. like, "I don't know," and then Korg basically gives like a monologue about Valkyrie's like psychological problems, and it's like <laughs> he just says it like right to the camera basically, and I'm like, "What is this?" <laughs> like it's just like there was no dot clever dialogue or anything it was just like oh you know you you know you feel guilty about all your sisters dying and blah 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 and it's like this is the best you could do for this scene in a movie yeah i you almost get the sense that they were trying to rely on like you know the head being disembodied it taking place in this weird like cosmic tiki bar and the character being voiced by Taika Waititi in his like charming kiwi accent and his like affectation and like that making it like funny but i would agree that it didn't work do you do you like korg he's i i like i i feel i feel very i i i don't i don't have I love korg i love korg <laughs> he's fine i think he's better in ragnarok than in this like i don't think i just don't think he's like funny enough for me to to care in this movie which is how i felt about a lot of the movie honestly um how did how did we feel about the three guns and roses songs they use including one that i think they use twice did we did we think anything about that i mean they that's where i feel like the movie just as a whole right it comes in limping a little bit but it kind of stands upright and all right and then you're like kind of by then we're like oh this this was worth my money at least i did (laughs) but when it comes to that aspect of the Guns N' Roses song, I felt like, yeah, it's like, oh, it works. But they overdo it. And they overdo it for the fact that, well, isn't the character isn't the character named Axel, the one of the kids? He, well, he renames himself Axel. He's yeah. like Astrid, then he renames, renames himself Axel. Yeah. yeah. It, like, the movie just happens to begin with, well, like, the opening fight scene. It's like him, him being Thor... And, like, the fight scene's set to uh, Welcome to the Jungle. I didn't even notice, like, the Guns N' Roses song. Like, all this has already, like, left my memory. 
Like they oh, yeah. they hit it over our head. Yeah, it was like three. It was three times. It, it so like, yeah, you're right. It, it begins with um, Welcome to the Jungle and that yeah. opening fight scene. They play Paradise City when they go to New Asgard because get it, it's Paradise. And when it shows Astrid slash Axel, he's the son of Heimdall. Shows his room. He has a Guns and Roses poster on his wall. He decides he wants to be called Axel because he's into Axel Rose. And then they play Sweet Child of Mine in the Omnipotent City fight scene. And I like Guns N' Roses, but at the same time, it's like, I don't, I, I, I just didn't get it. Like, I didn't get what the point of, I mean, there isn't a point other than, like, Taika Waititi likes Guns N' Roses, which is I, it still, is valid. Is it still the Guardians of the Galaxy influence? But the thing is, like, in? the Guardians of the Galaxy, like, that soundtrack stuff, I feel like worked. Because it wasn't, like, Guns N' Roses is, like, jock rock, right? Like, it is, like, stuff, like, if it's you... glam rock. Yeah. Or a little bit of glam rock. Yeah, if you were, like, like, it's the kind of thing a 14-year-old would think would be, like, very cool to put in an action movie. And it's, like, I feel like what makes, like, the soundtrack choices in, what's it called? In Guardians, Guardians of the Galaxy work is that, like, there's a, you know, there, it's, it's like, soft rock from the 70s and stuff, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's it's just kind of, like, quirkier. But the thing is, with the Guns N' Roses reference, it's like, we already get it. We already get it. Like, oh, we see that. I think he, we should. they show that he has, like, a hoodie on. He has a Guns N' Roses hoodie on at the beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. And then they show, like, a poster of his. Well, it's like, we get it. He's a Guns N' Roses fan. We don't have to, we, we don't have to get hit over the head with, like, four times the songs. Like, yeah. that's way too much. And it's like... It makes me look at certain things like this as like, did you guys have like some type of sync quota with like, <laughs> with like some type of like music firm or something with Guns N' Roses? Like, I was like, I'm wondering what's going on. Yeah, and well, it's it's funny too, right? Because Taika Waititi does something similar in Thor Ragnarok, where he uses Led Zeppelin's "Immigrant Song" um, because it's literally a song about Vikings, um, but he uses that twice. And like when I saw it, I was like, okay, this is kind of cool. Like he's kind of embracing this sort of like painted van dungeons and dragons like uh aesthetic of thor but then when you get take it into guns and roses it, it feels like it loses a little of its meaning uh and its power so uh any anything else you guys want to add about this movie before i get to like our, our final questions did you guys like the way they depicted eternity i thought it was kind of cool I mean, it's, it, I mean, it's kind of like, it's been there. It's, I don't think it's anything new, but it, it wasn't horrible, you know? I thought it worked for this. It, it worked for the sequence. I appreciated that it looked kind of like a panel from like a, like a comic, like the, like the way, like the eternity that Gore is interacting with, it looked like they just kind of like cut it out like a comic book from the 70s and put it in there i thought like that was kind of cool but it, at the same time it felt a little underdeveloped all right so thor love and thunder is like as i mentioned it's the latest marvel movie it is the latest entry in marvel phase four um which is like the post endgame marvel movies right it's the post chris evans marvel movies it's the post robert downey jr marvel movies um we've talked about some of these movies on this podcast before like black widow and shang chi and the ten rings and eternals and 
Doctor Strange and Multiverse, Multiverse of Madness. Actually, the only one we haven't talked about on this podcast is Spider-Man No Way Home, even though we did like touch on it in certain episodes. Um, and it seems like kind of a little bit of a wilderness period for this franchise, right? Um, and I guess what, I, what I'm curious of is, do you guys... How do you feel? I know, Lewis, you probably don't care, but how do, how do we feel about, like, the direction the MCU is, is, is taking? I think they're in a little bit of an identity crisis now because they're going into uncharted territory as a IP or as a film franchise. Like, how long can you keep this going? <laughs> you know, and granted, there's plenty of source material to keep it going, but we've never seen this in cinema or, you know, we I mean, I guess at least in cinema, we've never seen this as far as like, how long can you keep enthusiasm going for this universe? And I mean, you do have a built in fan base with superheroes, of course, but I think there's a little bit of fatigue and there's a little bit of identity crisis as far as like where they want to take it. And you saw it with this film, you saw it with the multiverse of madness and you saw it with no way home two or three completely different films that, you know, I think two have identity crisis Thor and multiverse. But uh, I think that it's in that flux state of like, all right, when are, we need one that needs to blow us out the water. Maybe that's Secret Wars. Um, but how do you feel, Luce? Um, I don't know. I mean, like, people say, like, I don't know where Phase 4 is going, and it's like, well, like, where was Phase 1 really going? I mean, it was just building up to the five characters standing in a room together. That's really all it had to be, so I don't know. I mean, you know, there are are franchises like Godzilla and James Bond that have been around for, like, five times as long as uh, the MCU, and obviously they're, they're still successful, they're still around, obviously... James Bond is just at 25 films right now, I think. So obviously the MCU has it beat in terms of <laughs> quantity in, in, in a much more protracted period of time. Uh, so like, you know, there's the old show, bis, show business saying that it's like, you know, always leave them wanting more. So um, we're going to have to wait and see. But, you know, um, I think people just like need to keep expectations low. I think <laughs> it's like... It's like, yeah, you know, the MCU, it's like, yeah, these movies, you know, were just fun and everyone can enjoy them. And then, like, around the time Winter Soldier came out and everyone was like, oh, my God, this is a great movie. One of our greatest political thrillers ever made. And then it just became, like, really kind of obnoxious. Um, But it's like, you know, just keep expectations low. Like, you know, I mean, I watched this, uh, you know, I I lived through the experience. uh, But also, like, I'm, I'm a 20 almost a 28-year-old man. It's like these movies aren't really made for me anymore, so how how excited or disappointed I am, like, I always just keep that in the back of my mind. But, um, I don't know. I mean, like, everyone just seems to want it to, like, build to something, like Secret Wars or whatever, like, the next big event, and it's like, it's not gonna... You need, like, you know, the characters, you know, in their own movies with their own emotions and stakes or whatnot. You can't just go, boom, stri- straight from Secret Wars to... Um, uh, Secret Crisis, my idea for the Warner Brothers Disney Marvel Crisis movie <laughs> with Superman <laughs> fighting Spider-Man and whatnot. You can't just go straight into that, right? Right? Because then that's what everyone complained about with Batman v Superman and whatnot. It's like you're going too fast too soon. But, you know, 
Um, you know, if you just make a good movie, then, you know, none of this is a problem. People aren't going to be talking about, like, where where is everything going? I don't understand, because they're just going to be like, oh, that was a good movie. Yeah, I... I think they... I think part of the problem is they don't really know... Well, I'm, I'm sure somebody has an idea of what they're doing. Um, but I don't think what they intend to do has been, like, telegraphed to people. I'm like, do we have to know everything that Kevin Fe- Feige is thinking about all the time to enjoy these movies? No. Could this be solved if the movies they made were just, like, kind of better? Yes. But at the same time, I feel like there is just, like, a general aimlessness to a lot of these movies. Um, and I feel like that's kind of, you know... it. At some point, it does feel like they're going... They're simultaneously going through the motions, but also trying these kind of like, I don't know, just, just, they're trying, it feels like sometimes they're trying to reinvent themselves without having to actually reinvent themselves. It's kind of what this movie felt like and a little bit of what, like what Multiverse of Madness felt like to me. And I feel like your comparison to Godzilla made a lot of sense. Um, Like, I feel like we're sliding into the like, Godzilla versus Gigan, Godzilla versus Megalon era of the of the MCU, um, mm, which yeah. is, which is not a good thing. Like that's yeah, that not. that's when it oh, got. Thank you for clarifying. That <laughs> <laughs> that's when it got stuff started to get like pretty corny, and then you had to have the return of Godzilla or Godzilla nineteen eighty five, depending on what region you lived in. That kind of revived the series a little bit. Um, and and I, I think that even though I. I think they, you know, gather their rhythm by the middle of the film and, you know, have really enjoyable moments in the movie. Um, you know, like you said, there are overstuffed, like, you know, there, there's a general sense of being overstuffed. Like, even I found out today that, you know, one of the tour guides in the film that's at Asgardia or New Asgardia, he's from a, he's from like a web short film that they did with Thor and his roommate after he moves out with Jane. So he's like, it's like a comedic short or whatever. And I'm like, I don't know who would know this, but, you know, it just seems like they're just adding on too much to add more, like, little pieces of IP into the character, which I don't mind if it's engaging, but it just seems like it's just extra at this point. Yeah, they need um, the movie version of, like, the editor boxes to pop up and be like, this character was in <laughs> yeah. this. The asterisks. <laughs> um, yeah, and also, like, I feel like they've teased a lot of stuff and it's like, again, this podcast I was listening to, I was also talking about this movie. It's like the question they ask is like, how do we actually know they're going to like do the stuff they teased, right? Like they teased Adam Warlock at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy volume two. He's yet to show up. Um, you know, they teased the Black Knight at the end of Eternals and they teased they, Hercules played by Brett Goldstein at the end of Thor Love and Thunder. It's like they, they teased the leader. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. Was, yeah. <laughs> I think they just try to pretend like the Incredible Hulk didn't exist, which is a shame because I think it's kind of an underrated movie. But, um, you know, it's like, and are are we sure that like Brett Goldstein isn't just going to be like, well, I'm just going to make season three of Ted Lasso, and not that he can't do both, but like he's just going to do Ted Lasso full time or that, what's his name, Jon Snow? Because apparently there's going to be like a Jon Snow yeah. show at Kit HBO. Harrington. Like, is he just is Kit Harrington just going to do that instead of the Black Knight? Like. It feels like they've... It's a like, side gig. Like, even for Psycho Atiti in interviews, yeah. like, there was that one going around where it's like, he, he doesn't care. Yeah, yeah. Um, just an opportunity for him to get out there, you know, let everyone know his brand, because mm-hmm. that's what you have to do now in Hollywood. It's like, you have to be in front of the camera. You have to have a brand. 
you know, that's that's how you get hired to do other things, and how we can do is other projects and whatnot. But so, but, so, um, but don't you don't you guys think that it was kind of like underwhelming that they didn't introduce any setups for Black Panther Wakanda or Wakanda Forever? Um, I thought that that was kind of interesting that they didn't set that up, or they didn't set up like any type of Blade movie, or they didn't set up the storyline that's apparently going to be pretty prevalent is uh, the Atlantis people within, you know, the Marvel Universe. So I'm, I'm surprised they didn't set up any of those storylines. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I feel like not, like, not every one of these movies has set up, like, the next one. Like, I, yeah. like um, I'm trying to think of a good example, and now I can, of course. But, um, and, like, Bla- Bla- Blade is set up in Eternals in a very yeah. discreet way. But, um it apparently like and allegedly the other like rumor is that like at the end of the movie when it says Thor will return, Taika Waititi was like, wait, he will. So who knows if he'll even be involved in the next one of these that will hypothetically star Hercules as well. Um, but yeah, it it like it just feels like it feels like it's this whole thing is becoming like unwieldy. Um, I guess is, is it general. has to end at some point. You know, these are flesh and blood people that you know, we've already had a case of someone you know succumbing to the mortal coil. So yeah. it has to all end at some point. It does. All right, so I'm gonna ask a question that Lewis hates, but I'm gonna ask it anyway, and he can do with, with it what he wants. But how would we rank this among the rest of the Marvel movies? You, and you don't have to give an exact number. Is it top I would say it, lower tier? I would say it's pretty rank. um no but i mean like i watched this movie and i like truly i felt like depressed Mm -hmm. like there was a pit in my stomach for like hours afterwards of just like this has got to (laughs) stop like i just feel like i'm in the twilight zone and it's like a nightmare designed just to torture me um i don't know like it, it was just like uh you know i'm a i like comedy I've studied a lot of comedy, the history of comedy, and it's like this just truly like I didn't really find this movie funny at all. Um, and then there were people in the theater with me that I, I assume they've never seen a comedy movie before in their life. They're just like laughing it up. Like they were literally convulsing with laughter. Their sides were going to literally split and their chest <laughs> would burst open. So I, I don't know. It just made me truly, truly upset um, and depressed. So... Um, that, that's how I felt. So um, I'd probably rank it in the middle of Marvel <laughs> movies. Oh, man. I'm, I'm like, so weird with this movie because I feel like I'm definitely the minority because I, I, I guess because as a character, Thor, I don't hold very high, maybe. Um, but I like Love and Thunder. I, I liked it for what it was. It, it, it was entertaining. I felt like I would like to give it a second watch because, especially in comparison to a movie that I saw early uh, early screening for uh, Gray Man, um, I, I I thought the humor actually landed in certain instances, like towards the middle and end. Um, I I do feel like it was overstuffed, but I thought it was I thought it did what it needed to do. I think that you know. Uh, I thought that Valkyrie character was awesome. I feel like she's a definitely star in the Marvel Universe. Um, but it was overstuffed, and they could have done a definitely a better job as far as, like, less ironic humor. Um, 
getting a better rhythm with Christian Bale. But I mean, it, it was an engaging movie. It was what I wanted. Like, uh, is it in game? No, but I, I think it did what it needed to do. I liked it better than Multiverse. Um, Multiverse of Madness. I thought that it. I thought the sequences. I thought the action sequences were really good. Um, and I thought that, you know, the the fact that they were able to take the four characters and have them kind of in this kind of like full like Garden of Galaxy state, I thought that that worked for the the parts it needed to work for. So um, take that for what it is, but I, I I'm not fatigued just yet. I, I still have hope in the MCU, so um, that's what I feel about it. Yeah, I <laughs> I thought this I honestly think this is my least favorite Marvel movie of all time. I very little of it worked for me. I think it was very self-satisfied at points. Um and it, it just it just felt like 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 a big old mess. Does that mean anything considering I will almost certainly see the next Marvel movie that comes out? Not really. No. Um but this just did not really work for me on a lot of levels. Um which is a bummer because I like to like movies, but I just I just couldn't bring myself to really uh, enjoy this one. Uh, all right, on that sour note, we'll uh, we'll end this episode of the Pony Express. Um, thank you to Alex and Lewis for joining us. You can uh, subscribe, like, and rate and review the Pony Express anywhere you can find podcasts. You can find all of our work on the Post Rider. You can find me on Twitter at mlavito and on Letterbox at Ameramike. And uh, you can find me on Twitter and Letterbox at thelewisryan.com to see more of my Marvel movie reviews. <laughs> uh, please like, comment, and subscribe. Try and hit 10,000K followers. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. This is Alex, and look out for my upcoming podcast that will probably be launching by the fall um delusions of cinema so look out for that um look out for this weird here uh, that's posting and those uh, look out for those two right now and uh hopefully a mailing list coming soon by the end of august lewis should, should we tease our our next podcast endeavor okay we're, we're, we're gonna we're, we're gonna there, there will be a second season to a certain podcast hosted by Lewis Ryan soon. I think that's all we'll say for now. Yeah. So uh, if you were, <laughs> if you liked previous podcasts hosted by me, you know, then get excited. There's a reason to wake up in the morning, people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, thanks so much for listening, everybody. And until next time, you've been listening to the Pony Express.